Welcome to the Dakota Town Hall Podcast, a political podcast platform based in Western South Dakota. Over the coming episodes, you'll hear from candidates and the issues that affect you in the upcoming 2020 election. Welcome to this episode of Dakota Town Hall from the Home Slice Media Group. It's also brought to you by Elevate Rapid City. Today, we are meeting with Jessica Castleberry, a candidate to Senate in District 35. In the Dakota Town Hall series, each candidate will receive the same questions presented to them in the same order. The candidates have not received these questions in advance. The questions are based on issues from candidate campaigns and from current events. Jessica, please introduce yourself. I'm Senator Jessica Castleberry. I was born and raised in District 35, attended Rapid Valley Elementary School, and served as student council president back in about 1994. I went to Dakota Middle School and graduated in 2001 from Central High School. I'm a business owner here in Rapid City for the past 10 and a half years. I'm the past president of the South Dakota Association for the Education of Young Children. I advocated for quality early learning in all environments in Rapid City, Pier, and D.C. I'm the Small Business Administration Woman-Owned Business of the Year from 2018 and was also the South Dakota CEO Young Enterprising Entrepreneur of the Year in 2016. I'm a graduate of the South Dakota CEO Women in Leadership Program and also became an instructor for that program and a graduate of Leadership Rapid City, Leadership South Dakota, and a graduate of the Goldman Sachs 10,000 Small Businesses Program. Okay, thanks, Jessica. Starting out with a simple question here. Why are you running? Thank you so much for the opportunity to come and speak with you today, and thank you so much for the question. Politics is never something that I thought that I would get involved in from the aspect of being a politician. Uh, However, serving other people and trying to help has always been something that has sought me. Once I saw that there was an opening for District 35 Senate, I put my hat in the ring, and I was thrilled to be selected and thrilled to have the opportunity to represent the district that I've grown up in. But once arriving in Pierre, I fully realized the need that everyone is always talking about for quality leadership and people in political positions who have integrity and can be articulate for the needs of the people in their community. And so after seeing for myself from the inside what that really looked like, I felt very compelled to run for re-election so that I could continue to represent all of our friends and neighbors in 35. Thank you. Here's a little bit of an open-ended question. Explain your position on the Second Amendment. The Second Amendment is extremely clear that our right to bear arms should not be infringed in any way. That is something that I 100% agree with. I have been a concealed carrier for over 10 years. I um, also believe that it is our responsibility to have citizens that are capable uh, gun owners and have the, uh, the ability to protect ourselves from our own government. Uh, it's not a new argument of why the Second Amendment was so important uh, and the, the ways that different countries have suffered from stricter 
gun regulations than what we have. Uh, and it's very important that we reserve that right as individual citizens to be able to protect ourselves from our own government if necessary. I'm a proud NRA member and um, am extremely passionate about the Second Amendment. Okay. Thank you. This is a double question. Has the state taken the correct stance on COVID? And what, if anything, would you change? This is an extremely complicated question because I think that we are still learning more about COVID as we go. We've been given conflicting recommendations uh, since this began. I do believe um, and respect that there are health concerns on both sides. We have people who feel that masks, for example, should be mandated. We have other people who they don't have the opportunity to wear masks because of different respiratory issues, because of uh, you know some of our children that have different mental health issues where it's not an option for them. So as far as the state is concerned, I think that the state has taken the correct stance, personally. I believe that it should be up to an individual person, business, or organization to implement any kind of mask requirements. Uh, you know, and maybe there's a way for those businesses and organizations to continue to meet people in the middle, to continue to offer high-risk uh, or immune-compromised times when maybe they mandate masks during certain hours during the week, and then the rest of the week it's free choice for their employees and free choice for their customers. I do think that it's important that we continue to find ways to protect our most vulnerable parts of our community. But I do think, as I said, it's still, all of the data is still developing. And I do believe that people should have the individual right on whether or not they wear masks. And if there are businesses that are mandating the masks, then they have that right to decide that they don't want to do business with those businesses, just as the individual business owners have the right to say whether they will or will not mandate masks. Thank you. Yeah, that's a short question, but a tough one. We have three ballot measures on the ballot. Initiative Measure 26, which is for legalizing marijuana for medical use. Constitutional Amendment A, which is legalizing marijuana for recreational use, and Constitutional Amendment B, which legalizes sports betting in Deadwood and on-reservation tribal casinos. What is your position on these ballot measures? Thank you so much for the question, and this is definitely something that has been coming through quite a bit in the emails uh, from different constituents wondering uh, how I feel about these, these different issues. I'll start with the sports wagering, sports betting in Deadwood. That is actually something that I signed on to support when it was presented in peer. I respect everything that the ability of, of Deadwood to have gambling has brought uh, the different opportunities to the state. I'm a huge supporter of Deadwood. Uh, the first job I ever had out of high school was actually a street performer in Deadwood. And I think that they have an excellent thing that they offer through all of their tourism. And th that I think is a good opportunity for our state to create additional revenue. And it, that that makes sense. 
Uh, as far as um, Amendment A, I align with the majority of the business community within South Dakota. Uh, I think that we have a lot of risks with uh, the way that this particular legislation is phrased. Um, There are concerns with law enforcement. There's concerns with actually adding marijuana specifically as a recreational use to the Constitution. Uh, if there's anything that I discovered this past year in Pierre is that anytime something becomes law, it's extremely difficult to uh, adjust that law, uh, much less part of the Constitution just compounds that difficulty. Um, And there's no other regulated intoxicant as part of our Constitution, uh, which includes alcohol and tobacco. And so why marijuana would need to be in our Constitution is something that maybe needs to be examined a little further. As far as uh, medical marijuana is concerned with initiated Measure 26, I think that we are still collecting the data from other states where where this has been part of their law. Uh, I know that I have personally seen benefits within uh, my own family members that live out of state. Uh, But that's one of the best things about this particular issue because it is such a issue that evokes strong emotions uh, in both directions. I think it's very good that both of these issues are actually on the general ballot so that the majority of South Dakotans feel like they can have their voice heard. We can address what the concerns are. We can address what some of the benefits may be. And if these measures should pass, then it gives the legislature, especially with Measure 26, uh, the opportunity for regulation. Thank you. According to a 2019 report published in U.S. News and World Report, South Dakota ranked well at 10th in the nation for higher education, but ranked 23rd for K-12 education. What can the South Dakota legislature do to improve the K-12 education in this state? This is a great question and also kind of a tricky question for me with being within the education realm, having been past president for the South Dakota Association uh, for the Education of Young Children. A lot of people would give the answer that we just need more funding. We need more funding. K through 12 needs more funding and just give that blank answer. But throwing funding at a bucket with a hole in it is not always the best solution. I think that we are taking some good steps in implementing the lean education principle this coming year within the Department of Education. And lean is a process of analyzing all of the different processes and whether that's within education or manufacturing or or a business structure so that we can look at the ways that we can cut out the waste. We can look at the ways that we can cut out unnecessary processes, unnecessary procedures, and, and things of that nature. So if the education system is running more efficiently, that will help initially. Uh, however, I 
am open to looking more into what our options are for quality alternatives. And that, again, these are not new issues, uh, and they are also very complex. But there have been other states that have had some success with various arrangements with school vouchers. Do I know that that's the perfect solution for South Dakota? No, but it's something that I think that we need to take a look at. Uh, I actually worked within the school district myself and uh, became very disenchanted with a lot of the processes and procedures, the way that students were treated, the way that some things were formulated. Very complicated and sticky issue because you're going to run into things that are excellent and things that need a lot of work within any industry, within any field, any program. However, having been specifically myself in the public school district and taking that time and deciding that I needed to open my own private schools, it's, some, it's an issue that I'm extremely close to. Um, but also one of the reasons why I don't serve on the education committee. That is an area where I step back and have other legislators analyze that a little more. I'll always give my perspective and then if anything comes to the floor, then, of course, it gets the same review as any other bill. But it has been such a huge issue within South Dakota. And something just briefly to mention, I know I'm speaking quite a bit on this, but education, of course, is my, my field. Uh, but our education system as it stands hasn't even been in place for 100 years we haven't even had mandatory kindergarten for barely 40 years. And so I think that there are a lot of areas where we can be coordinating and collaborating with the school administrators of South Dakota, with the Department of Education, to be looking at what some of our better solutions are for providing quality education for kids. And the last thing that I'll add is that I think that one of the things that has come out of the COVID crisis is that it's made all of us analyze and take a closer look at the type of education that our children are receiving. And parents are probably more involved now than they have been in a couple of decades with exactly how their kids are learning and what they're learning. So that's a long road. That that one is a big one for me. So I'm definitely always open for discussion and feedback and ideas because it's a problem that we need to solve together. Sounds like one of your hot topics. It so. is. <laughs> <laughs> okay. According to that same report, they, they ranked um, the economy. What can the state legislature do to improve the economy in the state? Well, we're in a really good position right now. Uh, we're going to be facing more challenges moving into the 2022 portion of the budget. But as far as the 2021 portion of the budget goes, We have been set up well with some of the extra funding that we've received, and a lot of it is one-time funding. Uh, We're a pretty fiscally responsible state, and so we actually have a little pile of money that we can work with, and it's one-time funds, so it has to be spent. It can't It's not something that we'll roll over that we can hold on to, but we can take those one-time funds and reinvest them in ways that will help 
with overall revenue for years to come. Some of that has already been implemented with some of the broadband expansion and and the different things that we've been looking at uh, because it applies with some of this funding because of all of the people having to work remotely and all of the children having to do school remotely that we were able to utilize some of this other funding that might have been already part of the budget where now we can use this other one-time funding to help us grow those opportunities. And so that will also attract more remote workers to come here. It will, it will also help support other types of businesses that have a lot of capacity for hiring more employees who are already in South Dakota uh, by having that better broadband available. Um, I do think that another key to that revenue, there's, there's a few different things that that I've taken into consideration. And one of them I know is a concern specifically in communities like Box Elder, where they know that they have a lot of businesses who are operating, but they are not contributing to their sales tax. And we want businesses here. We want people to thrive. We want them to fulfill their dreams of entrepreneurship, but we also want to make sure that that is happening within the legal limitations of what our sales tax laws are. And so that is one small way that maybe if we can figure out how to better regulate uh, that collection of sales tax, that's one small way that we could increase revenue just a little bit because it, you know, there's some, some of it, ha- it has to come from somewhere and that is one of our sources. Okay, thank you. In relating to that budget item, the next the question is, is, there never seems to be enough money for everything people would like to see the state to do. There's always a shortage of money. What changes to the state budget would you like to see? Like I mentioned, we're in a unique position for 2021 where we have a little bit of a surplus. Uh, So we're going to be able to address some of the highest needs that the state has had for decades. and that, which I think will help us moving forward, even though we're still uncertain of what 2022 is really going to look like. One of the most important things that I think that we will need to be addressing as a legislature this year, all of the areas where we can cut waste, uh, and that especially includes prioritizing what the true needs are versus what the wants are. Uh, this is not going to be the year for legislators to be bringing some of the special pet projects. This is really going to be the year that we need to focus on what is the most basic parts of quality of life for our residents. What can we do with crisis stabilization for mental health? What can we be doing for local housing? What can we be doing um, to help our universities, especially here in Western South Dakota, to stay relevant and to continue to attract new students. Those are just a few ideas, but um, honestly, for me, it really always comes down to um, just really watching what that personal agenda legislation is. It really, it takes up a lot of time within the legislature. 
Uh, it takes up a lot of the budget because our sometimes our legislative days are extended, which anytime that we have to go into extra session, it costs the taxpayers of South Dakota about $16,000 a day just to pay us to be in the Capitol building. So that's just something for consideration anytime that you have a legislator that's dragging something out uh, that is going to be ruled unconstitutional and not pass. <laughs> so <laughs> this is just a few small thoughts. <laughs> okay, switching gears a little bit. Explain your position on Medicaid expansion. This is another complicated issue. You, you said this was going to be the, the simple list, and there's a lot of, uh, a lot of really hard-hitting question, questions today, but that's good because that's what people want to know. I think that there are ways that we can continue to help South Dakotans with rising medical costs, without the expansion of Medicaid. Uh, that's another subject that, uh, you know, we visited a little bit about education and about the bucket with the hole in it. Uh, Medicaid also could be put into that category, and I think that we need to be extremely careful about how that's addressed. I know, I've known a lot of people who uh have actually suffered from some of the expansions that have occurred in the past where they had been doing better with some of their medical bills when they were just on sliding fee scales from individual hospitals and medical facilities. And so we really have to look at that very, very carefully to make sure that we're actually not harming more people who are low income uh, than helping them. Okay, thank you. Well, yeah, hopefully these are a little easier. <laughs> what specific issues do you want to solve for the people in your district? Oh, my goodness. Uh, one of the biggest items that I think that we have out in District 35, we have a very diverse group of people. We have young families. We have a lot of families uh, in northeastern Rapid City. We have a lot of families in Rapid Valley and Box Elder. So we have military families and just a, just a huge spectrum. Uh, however, something that I'm hearing over and over again is ways that we can be providing the elderly with assistance. I've heard stories about uh, some various issues with property with septic tanks and water quality and um, some of our elderly residents who have to get co-signers on loans because their credit score is low because they have tremendous medical debt. And so I think that there's a huge need to address how we can be helping the elderly to feel more financially secure uh, in their golden years. And that's that's something that I, I really take very seriously. Um, also, as far as District 35 goes, there are a lot, even though, you know, we, if you think about it, if you're familiar with District 35, we have the majority of the new retail and commercial within Rapid City. We have the majority of the post-secondary educational institutions. We have the, the entire spectrum of the most high-need, low-income families, and then we also have quite a bit of expansion with families that are uh, in that higher bracket of earning. 
And so that's something that uh, we need to be aware of, even with all, even with that going on. Another issue is that we have some deserts within our area. And that's something that I absolutely would love to collaborate with other leaders uh, on very specifically. Uh, there's some great things happening with development in the East North Street area. I would love to see that continued. I'd love to see incentives. I'd love to see maybe some flexibility on zoning so that if people are looking to repurpose some of those businesses that they're able to do so and that they're not limited by maybe it was allowed in that area by state legislation but it's not allowed by city zoning or more flexible terms for some of the leases so that we can rent some of those places out and get businesses in there that will benefit the community without necessarily being locked into a five-year lease. Uh, I'd love to see something like maker spaces. I'd love to see pop-up uh, Etsy sponsored spaces, things that help some of those people with those smaller businesses who might not be able to afford a thousand to three thousand to five thousand dollars a month in rent, but some collaborations and things so that we can get those spaces filled. We can reinvest in those communities that have been emptying out. Uh, and that's everything from East North Street to Rushmore Crossing. Uh, and also provide more opportunities for local entrepreneurs to be able to fulfill their dreams. So by deserts, you don't mean unbroken ground. You mean property that's not currently being used. Exactly. Correct. Okay. Okay. And very, very similar question. What specific issue would you like to solve for the people in the state? That is a great question. I think one of the biggest things that we're facing as a state right now is the challenge that there is to personal liberty. The Constitution is extremely direct about people being able to pursue life, liberty, and happiness. And I think that we've gotten caught up in a lot of personal agendas. I think that we've gotten caught up in outside influences from outside of the state. And this is something that a lot of people aren't even really aware of, that they don't know. When they see legislation come through and they think, what is that? That isn't something that I've ever thought about or that matters to me. You know, the, the majority of people, especially in 35, we just want our constitutional rights. We want to be able to live with our families. We want to be able to afford to live there. We want to we want to have limited government and there are other outside influencing forces that are interrupting that. And so for me personally, I would love to see South Dakota to continue to embrace the ideals of the people who live here because the majority of South Dakotans are here because we like wide open spaces and we like to protect our families. And it, it's, it's pretty simple. 
we want to be healthy, we want to be happy. Uh, and, and some of these other things that keep getting brought up year after year have reflected very poorly on the state. There are things that are unconstitutional. There are things that are unnecessary. There are things that are not even truly South Dakota issues. And so that's something that I would love to see South Dakotans really examine instead of being reactionary to the things that you see that make you question, where is this even coming from? Is this even a South Dakota problem? To really be aware of what legislators are bringing and to help hold them accountable. So again, kind of a, you know, but, but personal liberties is, is, that's a big issue to me. Um, and just protecting the constitution, it seems fairly simple, but you'd be surprised. <laughs> well, thank you for that, uh, that answer. Uh, one other quick question, maybe not quick. Um, <laughs> Rapid City has seen a, a growth in the homeless population, and it's been on the minds of the legislature the last couple of years, which ties into homelessness as the uh, mental health issue. What is the state currently doing, and what could the state do about improving the mental health of, of some of our residents? This is a great question and something that has definitely been on the minds of a lot of our legislators. There was a summer study this past summer that had to do with uh, analyzing mental health and resources in South Dakota, and I think that there are going to be a lot of very good recommendations that come out of the work that that group did over the summer. This is something that has been a continuing problem and something that I know, living in Rapid City my whole life, that I have absolutely become extremely aware of. Uh, when you go through a program like Leadership Rapid City, they're very specific about having you tour the mission, about talking about the needs for capacity, about talking about the d conflicting efforts on do we stay downtown? Do we, you know, do we, can we expand if we stay downtown? Do we move out of downtown? If we do, where do we go? And I think that we have a tremendous opportunity right now because this has been years of discussion with people on committee after committee and studies and going to other communities that we have, we have the opportunity now to make a change where we can really be offering the type of rehabilitation that is so needed. Uh, some people may not be aware that this problem is exacerbated in Rapid City because we are the only city that offers homeless assistance in all of Western South Dakota. We have people who are homeless who are brought here by other communities and dropped off. They're coming from North Dakota, they're coming from Wyoming, they're coming from Colorado, and they're being dropped off within our city. And so one of the most important things that we need to do, and this is another thing that is on that list of having this little extra pocket of one-time money, that we are going to bring together all of this data that we've been collecting all of these years to collaborate and to, to try to really move forward and address this issue. It is a state 
issue. It is something that is affecting all of Western South Dakota. It is most definitely affecting Rapid City. And it's time for us to identify the key players in this that we need to get the space to give the resources and to help our homeless population uh, have the quality of life that they deserve to have and to help them transition to healthier living. Thank you. Would you like to make a closing statement? I sure can. Um, I just thank you again so much for the opportunity to come visit with you today. Um, The only things that I would mention is that I really am an open book. My voting record speaks for itself. I am 100% pro-life rated from South Dakota Right to Life. I'm endorsed and A-rated from the NRA, endorsed by Americans for Prosperity, and 100% pro-business score from Elevate Rapid City. My website is available for anybody that is interested in learning more about me. It outlines all of my positions, and that's www.jessicacastleberry.com. And the most important votes that I cast this past year, as well as links to exact testimony of things that I spoke on. I've been a business leader, mentor, advocate, community volunteer in our area for just about 20 years. I'm a lifetime resident of District 35, and I'm invested in our community. I'm in a position where I don't have to make promises about what I am going to do or try to convince anyone what kind of legislator or community member that I will be. I have been living it. For years, I have been mentoring other business owners and young leaders. I've been presenting leadership classes. I've been fundraising for organizations like the Cornerstone Rescue Mission and the Boys Club and Volunteers of America and Wavy. I've been working with the mayor's offices in Rapid City and Box Elder, as well as Ellsworth Air Force Base and the South Dakota Ellsworth Development Authority, Elevate Rapid City, and I've served on several planning boards for the Rapid City Area School District. Uh, For those of you who are aware of my moped that I ride around town, that is my voter cycle, and I put 400 miles on that little guy this past summer just driving around District 35 because I wanted to be visible, accessible, and accountable to our citizens. There are little tiny kids in District 35 who will point at me as I drive by and say, Senator Castleberry, all the way up to our elderly who are maybe working out in their yards who will smile and wave and flag me down just to visit. I believe that's what local representation should look like. Our community members should know who their representatives are. My highest priorities are limited government, fiscal responsibility, and protecting personal liberties in the Constitution. Uh, That's what I did in PEER this year, and it's what I will continue to do. All legislators are sworn in the oath of office to uphold the Constitution, and that oath is more important now than ever. I'm Senator Jessica Jessica Castleberry, and I'm running for re-election for the South Dakota District 35 Senate. And remember, to me... Your voice always matters. Please reach out to me anytime. Thanks, Jessica, for coming in and spending your time and answering these uh, maybe tougher questions than I anticipated. (laughs) (laughs) Anyhow, thank you very much. Thank you.